Hey everyone, welcome to Unnatural, Emily and Andy. Now this is part two, a two-parter here, our first one of these. And if you haven't heard part one of the murder of Molly Tibbetts, well, what are you doing here? Go back, listen to part one, and then you'll be all set to go. Now part one covers Molly's disappearance, and eventually it was found out that she was murdered by Christian Bahena Rivera. That was back in 2018. The crazy thing was he leads local law enforcement to where she was buried, where he had dumped her body, and yet not so long after that pleads not guilty. Now we're going to get into the reasoning why coming up in this podcast and also some of the weird twists and turns of this bizarre trial, which wrapped up just recently. Thanks for joining us. It's part two of the murder of Molly Tibbetts. Originally, the trial was set for April 2019. It was postponed due to some red tape that was going on in Iowa. And then 2020 comes along, and we all know what happened in 2020. Coronavirus. Exactly. The COVID-19 pandemic kind of postponed things for a very long time. So finally, it was set for May of 2021. Now, initially, Rivera claimed that he had as you said, blacked out and woke up after Molly died. Mm -hmm. But as we're about to tell you, his story changed. Once the Yeah, it changed once the trial finally took place. Well, because his lawyers were probably like, look, man, they got a lot on you. And the whole you blacked out thing just isn't Mm going to fly. Come up with something else. Yeah, that must be what it was. Who knows? But the trial eventually began in May of 2021, May 17th, in Davenport, Iowa. Now, initially it was going to be in Powashee County, but they said that that was too close to where the murders took place. We've seen this many times, so it got moved to Woodbury County, which is way over on the other side of the state. But then because of COVID, it got moved over to the east side of the state, Davenport, which is right next door to Illinois on the Mississippi River. Because it was so highly publicized, and as you mentioned before, Emily, politicized as well, a lot of attention was paid to this case. Now, CNN was there, Fox News was there, ABC, the New York Times, all of the heavy hitters, they were all there. However, the judge, Joel Yates, He said before the trial took place that the media would not be allowed inside the courtroom. However, he did say that they could operate remote controlled video cameras to broadcast the proceedings live on the Internet or television. And I don't know about you, but I watched some of that myself. Yeah, I did. For sure. I didn't watch. I didn't. I wasn't able to watch all of it. I um. I kind of had it on as background noise while I was at work. And then yeah. afterwards, I would watch 
just kind of like the highlights or like the main points. Yeah. And these internet live streams are going to come into play a little bit later in the trial as well. Now, one of the first big people that came onto the stand was Arlie Nunez Lorenza. Who's that? And she was Christian's cousin who lives in Toledo, Iowa. Now, she testified early in the case that she knew the defendant for 10 years. And she purchased that Chevy Malibu that you talked about. So she mentioned earlier in her testimony that she had actually purchased that Chevy Malibu for Christian in 2015. In return, he was giving her monthly cash payments. And she said she never used the car, and she knew that it was driven exclusively by Christian. Now, she socialized with him mostly kind of at family gatherings, she said, and she was fairly close with her cousin, before his move to Brooklyn, Iowa, where he lived in a trailer. As the registered owner of the car, she gave law enforcement permission to check it and process it in August of 2018, right after Tibbetts went missing. Is she here legally? Yeah, she was here legally. And in cross-examination by the defense, she said that she bought the car to help her cousin who could not do so on his own because, again, he was an undocumented Mexican national. And his parents are still in Mexico, and he has a daughter, Nunez testified as well. The defendant, he was pretty reliable, and he paid her about $300 in cash for the car every single month and never missed a payment and thanked her many times, she said. Now, the state also called... Christina Stewart to the stand, who owns a salon in downtown Brooklyn. Now, she had known Molly Tibbetts since Molly was about 12 years old. And Stewart was one of the last people to actually see Molly alive. She said that she was driving to her parents' house around 7.45 p.m. on July 18th when she spotted Tibbetts, who was jogging, eastbound on 385th avenue yeah and that goes along with like the snapchat that she sent to her boyfriend at like 7 30 exactly right around that same time mm-hmm. and she said that molly looked like she was on a nice peaceful run and As she 24 did quite often yeah and unfortunately 24 hours later on july 19th stewart said that she was alerted through a text that molly was missing stewart said that she did not see the defendant's black Chevy Malibu on the last night that she saw Tibbetts jogging. So that's important. She didn't see the Chevy Malibu, but she did see Molly that evening. So up next was her boyfriend at the time, who you mentioned, Dalton Jack. Mm -hmm. He was called to the stand. He was dating Tibbetts when she went missing. Now, the two began dating, as you mentioned, in their senior year, and... They had been together for a number of years, and he was asked to immediately recall Molly's phone number. And he rattled it off without a pause. Good for him, because... Yeah, this, this was the prosecution's way of showing how much they cared for each other. And he described her as bubbly and goofy, said that she ran around six miles every day, 
even if it was extreme weather, she was out there running. And the week of July 18th, 2018, Jack was actually, as you mentioned, working in Dubuque, Iowa. Mm -hmm. And he drove his own car to Dubuque on July 16th, two days before she went missing. After he arrived, he said he was in nearly constant communication with Tibbetts over text and Snapchat. You know how couples are. Even if they're far apart, Mm -hmm. they're talking to each other all the time. And... He said he was looking at his phone all the time and they were in constant communication. And he said that he did not go home, nor would he have, because Dubuque is 140 miles away from Brooklyn. So that's just not feasible. So he was in Dubuque for the long haul and he was answering questions from the prosecutor and he said him and about a dozen guys that night on July 18th went out the night Molly went missing. And the next morning he texted her that message, as you mentioned, good morning, beautiful, which he texted her apparently every single morning, which is pretty adorable. That's so sweet. I know. And I want good morning, beautiful texts every day. Me too. I've never gotten a good morning, beautiful text. What's up with that? If I, if I had a dollar for every time someone has called me beautiful, I would have one dollar. Thanks, Mom. That's not true. That is not true. I know, but it's funny. <laughs> okay, so in cross-examination by the defense attorney, Chad Freeze, Tibbetts' boyfriend, Dalton Jack, he then said that he actually went into the military after she passed away because he kind of quote wanted to pretty much leave for a while, which is understandable. I mean, wait, who her boyfriend did. Yeah. He was heartbroken after she died. I mean, he needed something to do. So he went into the army. Now the defense attorney brought up differing statements that Jack allegedly made to investigators, including one that Jack told investigators that apparently he said he was watching a movie of the night of her disappearance. But then as we know later that he testified that he was actually out with his friends that night. So a little bit of difference in what he said initially and what he said later. And freeze also alleged that Jack withheld from some of the officers that actually he had cheated on Molly. Mm -hmm. And that was part of what I was able to watch during the testimony was about him and his yeah. alleged affairs as I just, that's what bothered me. Why does that matter? Honestly. And that's what a lot of people were saying, Emily, a lot of people were saying, why did this, does this matter? Well, because the defense was trying to possibly make him look like the guy who might've had something to do with this. And it was a pretty tense back and forth. Yeah. And, right. But I mean, like, like what did he what, what what were they saying? I guess did he hire somebody to follow her well, it, and it, kill her? Because it's it's he was in Dubuque. That has there's there's no dispute. It was all hypothetical. Yeah. And Jack had said, "Look, hey, the woman that I cheated with Molly with, yeah, we had a sexual relationship, and Molly found out. She went through his phone and she confronted him." But this was years ago, like four or five years before. And he was 19 years old at the time. And he screwed up one time. Molly knew about it. And they got past it. 
so it doesn't have any relevance in the case, right. is what he was saying. Yeah. And so during Freeze's questioning, Jack acknowledged that he was drinking the night of her disappearance. And Freeze also, he showed some records that Jack had opened up that Snapchat from Molly at 1.30 a.m. on July 19th. Now, initially, he said it was 10.30 p.m. on July 18th, as he had previously said. To me, that's kind of semantics. It's a few hours difference. Of course, things aren't going to be exactly how you remember them. Right. Um, But during the state's kind of redirect, Jack said he didn't want to be in the same room as Christian Rivera. And I wouldn't either. Here's what he said. Quote, I wholeheartedly believe he is guilty of killing Molly Tibbetts. Hey guys, if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's absolutely free. And there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. So Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and a whole lot more. Basically, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Yeah. And you want to know what else? You can also make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, which is really cool. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. So here's where we get to, uh, well... (laughs) The interesting part, Emily, Christian Bahina Rivera actually took the stand in his own murder trial, which in and of itself, you and I cover these things. It's pretty rare these days. You don't see that happen very often. Especially, I feel like in something like this, where I I feel like there's pretty much no doubt in anybody's yeah. mind that he's guilty. Maybe he thought that this was the only chance he had. Maybe that's what his lawyers thought. But it certainly is unusual. Yeah, because, I mean, really all you need is to to give one juror that, like, to question something, to get that reasonable doubt. And maybe that's what they were going for. I'm sure. When it was announced that he would give testimony, you kind of knew that it had the chance to be a bombshell. Yeah. And boy, was it. I remember when it happened, I texted you and Mm -hmm. I said, oh my fucking God, Emily, you won't believe what just happened in this trial. And I was like, what? Because I wasn't able to be watching it at that point in time. I'm like, what's happening? What's happening? He opened by saying, yes, Molly was in his trunk. But he did not tell investigators the full story. Ooh. Now, my initial reaction to that was, well, oh, yeah, really? no, no, duh. You didn't tell the whole story. You said you blacked out. Well, and, and plus, 
okay, you were with investigators for 11 hours. You didn't tell him everything, huh? Okay. So Well, he blacked out, Andy. He doesn't remember. Apparently. Well, now he does remember him. Okay, good. What so, happened? Well, the story goes, he told it like this. <laughs> Two mystery men. Mm. And that's that, that's what he called them. Quote, mystery, mystery men. men. So they came to his house. They were brandishing weapons. <sighs> they took him against his will. No. Then they forced him to drive them in his own car. What? They found Molly Tibbetts. Oh. They ab- they abducted her. They did. And then the mystery men were the ones that killed her. You know what, Andy? That's, oh my God. I have two words for you. Yeah. Makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is this some of the most bizarre testimony that you've ever heard? I mean, it's just ridiculous. I'm going to be honest here. I haven't heard a lot of testimony, but as far as the testimony I have heard goes, I would say this is. It's right up there. Definitely. It's it's the worst and the best at the same time. Right. Yeah, because, you know, no pun intended, he was digging in his own grave here. And. Mm-hmm. The pro- is Iowa a death penalty state? It is not, actually. We're going to get into that, but it's not a death oh. penalty state. And the prosecuting attorney, Scott Brown, so this is where we get into the closing statements here. He reviewed the evidence with the jury, and he you know, mentioned that the car and the runner were captured on video and that there was a confession. Remember, Christian confessed. To the officers. Well, and you couldn't, I mean, I saw, I think I saw like a screen grab of the car. Now it's not super clear, but Mm -hmm. it certainly doesn't. And I haven't looked at it, but I don't think it, I don't, I mean, I haven't looked at it recently, but I don't think it looks like there's three people in the car. Well, and plus, even if you're a little. But they were probably ducking, the masked men (laughs) were ducking down in the back. Yeah. Even if you might question the car, well, guess what? The blood was in his own trunk. And Brown also reminded the jurors that the defendant led authorities to Molly's body. But the masked men told him where to go, Andy. Right. That's how he knew. Yeah. And he also argued that this testimony, quote, doesn't make any sense because the video evidence refutes the entire story. It does. So the final point that he made, he said that the defendant was kind of motivated by anger. That's what he said. He said, Molly is threatening to call the police, and the defendant was angry when she said that, Mm -hmm. and that's what prompted him to kill her. And... He also talks about the scenario which Christian mentioned where the two mystery men forced him to drive them and they put Molly's body in the trunk. And he said that's not supported by any evidence whatsoever. There's no evidence that says that there were any other people involved in this. And he he called it, quote, a figment of his imagination. And my favorite part, if you get a chance to watch this part, 
if you watch the closing arguments from the prosecutor. Now, usually the bailiffs, they're stoic. They're just standing there. You don't see any emotion on the bailiffs, right? props to them. The bailiffs, in this case, Emily, one of the bailiffs in particular, it he has the look on his face that I had on my face as this prosecutor was talking. He's like, yeah, yeah, all of this makes sense. It was just, it was absolute gold. So if you have the chance to check that out, I'm do gonna so. I'm going to have to watch but it because I didn't see that. You definitely have to. I was watching the bailiff in the background and he just had this weird look on his face that kind of summed up everything. But the defense attorney, now Chad Freeze, he said that the investigation was done amid quote, sloppy police work. Now, he pointed out missing elements to the case. He said that there was no murder weapon found. He said that there was no crime scene, no no eyewitnesses, and no motive as well. And really, from the very beginning of all of this, he said that, you know, resources were made available by the governments that weren't used properly in the case. He said that Christian's 11-hour interview with the officers was a, quote, colossal blunder. Okay. And that's kind of how the defense rested. Now, so they really didn't have anything. Anything, in my opinion, and your opinion too, it sounds like, they didn't have a whole lot to go on here. But... That's how our judicial system works. And the jury was not, you know, it, it certainly wasn't uh, in um, recess for very long. It didn't take them very long to come with a verdict here. Yeah, it was just a couple hours, wasn't it? Yeah. And he was found guilty of first degree murder. And the judge. You're goddamn right he was. Yeah. The judge ordered him to be held without bond, and he faces a mandatory sentence of life imprisonment without parole. And as we mentioned, the state of Iowa does not have the death penalty. Shortly after the trial, I think I texted this to you yesterday or the day before, Emily. Um, Rivera's lawyers actually asked for a mistrial. Oh, yeah. And they said they were asking for a mistrial based on the live stream viewing. And they said that interfered with the case. And well, the court issued an oral ruling. They denied the motion entirely. And they said that there was no party that had asked for us sequestration and no prejudice had resulted in the case whatsoever. So there was no cause for a mistrial. And at the time of this recording of this podcast, um, he has not been sentenced yet, but that will take place on July 15th. And also, Emily, I know that there have been a number of causes that have sprouted up for Molly Tibbetts over the last number of years. People are keeping her memory going, and that's very important. Yeah, absolutely. So her her friends and family organized the Molly Tibbetts Memorial Rung, which the first one was on September 30th of 2018. 
they they made like a Facebook group event out of it so that everyone around the world could run in honor of Molly and finish the run that she was not able to. Now, they've done it every year since. They even did it in 2020. I think the... I, you, you know, you can do it wherever, yeah. but the, the event that takes place in Iowa is five miles. And um, in 2020, the proceeds from the 2020 run went to benefit child psychiatry. Now, there is also the Molly Tibbetts Memorial Fund, mm-hmm. which we will also post a link for in the show notes. But to date, the Molly Tibbetts Memorial Fund has raised over $129,000. Now, the fund is for child and adolescent psychiatry, which, as we talked about earlier, was one of her passions. It was what she wanted to go to school for. It was her, like, greatest ambition in life. And this fund allows um, the the directors to purchase equipment to support programs for the kids. It funds MP3 players for music therapy, which apparently is a really great coping technique for patients like psychiatry patients that are really struggling. That makes sense. I mean, music is universal. Yeah. So this, this fund helps in a lot of ways. And then also, Andy, one more thing before we go, which I think will be a great way to kind of wrap this up. You remember earlier when I had mentioned that Molly was into writing poetry? Yeah, and I hadn't heard that before, but I, I would love to hear some of her poetry. Yeah, so I did want to read one. Because it's it's very powerful for her family, and it just really, truly, you really get a glimpse of who she was as a person. It's called The Story of Me. Once, not long ago, in The Story of Me, I was a different character than the one I've come to be. Because once, not long ago, I was confused and afraid, but there was never a hero when I needed to be saved. I was hurt. I was lost. I had given up hope that my life had a purpose, but I managed to cope. Every day, everything, it stung a little more. It would wear me down till I was crying on the floor. What was my point? Why was I here? As an answer never came, I hoped to hear. But once, not long ago, in the story of me, I opened my eyes and started to see that I had a future and it was very bright. But if I wanted to feel better, I had to fight. So I got up off my knees and wiped the tears away because once not long ago in the story of me, I realized I didn't need a hero. All I need in this story is me. That's beautiful. I've got goosebumps. No, I honestly, I've got goosebumps right now. That, that was amazing. And she, I like almost want to cry. So it's it's really mm-hmm. just a a story of you're struggling and you don't know where to go and then mm-hmm. and you see the light you see your future you see the things ahead. Oh, such a tragedy. It, it, it really is. So it's 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 just so sad that someone like her who had her whole life ahead of her 
and she was a beautiful soul and she could have contributed so much and she was about to mm-hmm. to this world and just gone too soon and i don't know i think that's kind of the reason why we're doing this why we're doing this podcast to shed light on some of these victims that the, need their stories told and i think that's why there's such broad interest in this yeah. true crime podcast thing because there's all of these people out there that their lights are taken out, Emily, and it's important to keep their memories alive. And that's kind of what we're trying to do here. I agree. And, and we're going to continue to do this, including into the next episode. Which is well, what? Well, coming up next week, we are going to be going to the year 2002. Now... What was going on with you in the year 2002? I'm curious because you and I didn't know each other then. No. Well, I was, depending on what time of year, I was 11 or 12. This is October. October. So I was 12. Okay. I Were, were you a little hellion at that point or were you? No, okay. that didn't start until I was like 15. Okay. Okay. When I was 12, I was probably playing with Barbies and dolls and the cats out in the barn we had cows i don't know god i don't know i don't remember really Ooh, wow. what happened when i was 12 i don't know hey that sounds that sounds like a pretty good 12 year old life i would say so so back in the year 2002 it's the east coast the nation is on edge because these two snipers are taking people out left and right, and nobody knows who they are or what's going on. It's right after 9-11, and we'll bring that case to you next week on Unnatural. What do we got on socials? On socials, you can find us on Twitter, Unnatural the Pod. See pictures from this case, past cases, and future cases, depending on when you're listening, I guess. Uh, That is unnatural the podcast we have a facebook page unnatural a true crime podcast you can send us a gmail unnatural the podcast at gmail.com we also have a patreon page where you can get ad free episodes behind the scenes content audio extras and much more as time goes on that is patreon.com com slash unnatural the pod be sure to rate subscribe follow share us with your friends so my question to you is is there a chance that we can get a google plus account going because i hear that's all the rage right now google plus is dead google plus is Wait, as dead as what? Vine. yeah it's not around anymore but google said that was going to be the next big thing they lied Oh, man. I I created a profile page and everything. I think I had a Google Plus account or whatever because I was just seeing what it was all about. And Well, you were done with AIM at that point. You wanted to move on to something else. My space was gone. On April 2nd, 2019, we are shutting down the consumer personal version of Google Plus, a social network by Google. Damn. It lasted that long. It had so much potential. Yeah. I think it started in like, what, 2013? or It, it had a, a good six-year run. 
All right, everybody. Well, thank you for joining us. We will talk to you next week. Talk to you next week. Bye, guys. Let's give a high. Let's give a virtual high five. Can we do it? No, no, no. Hold on. You needed the sound effect, though. No, you got to go one, two, two three. three. Oh, God, that sucked. It worked. It didn't really work. It worked just fine. It's the year 2002, and it's over on the East Coast. It is the DC Snipers case. And this is one of those things that made national headlines. It whoa, was right whoa, after 9 11. You, you, you just said 2012. Did I, I swear to God, you did. Bullshit. I swear to God, you said 2012. Bull fucking shit. Or did I just stuck because bullshit. I said I was 12? I don't know. I okay, I guess we'll find out later. I'll find out later when I'm editing. You know what I watched last night? Rolling. What? Can you can you if you can guess what movie I watched last night, I will Venmo you one thousand dollars right now. Flubber. No. <laughs>